Happiness for sale. You're listening to Psychology in 10 Minutes. I'm David B. Feldman. People are crazy about money. We spend an average of 90,000 hours during our lifetimes earning it and the rest of our lives spending it. Nearly everything we do requires money, from paying the rent and putting food on our tables to vacation travel and buying those new shoes we've been eyeing. There's no doubt that money is an important force in our psychological lives. It's one of the most common issues that couples fight about, as well as a major factor in divorce. It's a frequent reason people seek to switch jobs, and the number one consideration influencing which jobs they ultimately accept. Given all this fuss, it's an interesting fact that most people still say they believe the old saying, money doesn't buy happiness. So, which is it? Is money an important facet of our psychological well-being, or isn't it? According to research, the answer may be both. Dozens of studies show that money does indeed buy happiness. In a recent article published in the journal Nature, for instance, Researchers analyzed data on income and well-being from the Gallup World Poll, a representative survey of more than 1.7 million people worldwide. Perhaps not surprisingly, they found that the higher income people reported, the happier they were. But this was only true to a point. In the same study, emotional well-being stopped increasing once a person earned $60,000 to $75,000 on average and people indicated that they were maximally satisfied with their lives once income reached about 95000 Although these numbers differed from country to country, there was always a point at which more money no longer yielded more happiness. Let's not pretend that money is unimportant, however. There are plenty of people in our world who don't have enough money to survive. And money gives us the ability to put a roof over our heads access education, provide safety and security to our families, obtain health care, and enjoy our leisure time, just to name a few. But none of this requires a greedy quest for millions of dollars. Provided we're lucky enough to earn sufficient funds that we no longer need to worry about food, health, and safety, the positive effect of making ever-increasing amounts of money appears to level off, particularly if it means more job stress or longer hours. Winning the lottery might not even make people happier. In one classic study, researchers interviewed almost 200 people who had won a major lottery approximately a year earlier, as well as a group of people who hadn't. Tellingly, the lottery winners didn't report being any happier than the non-winners. The positive emotions that existed soon after the win had quickly diminished. In addition, the two groups were asked to rate the degree of pleasure they felt while doing everyday activities like talking with friends, watching TV, or buying clothes. The results were startling. The lottery winners enjoyed these activities less than those who hadn't won. Apparently, winning the lottery had set an impossibly high bar, compared to which ordinary pleasures just seemed less pleasurable. There are a couple of important exceptions to this rule, however. According to research, making more money can lead to greater happiness when it's used to purchase experiences or to benefit others, or both. 
Using money in this way buys lasting memories. Most of us would agree that our happiest moments are spent with friends and family, traveling or eating meals together, for instance. Whereas the pleasure of buying a high-ticket item wears off quickly, the increase in well-being we gain from these kinds of activities sticks with us. Long after we've thrown our latest smartphone in the garbage, we'll still be reliving the memories of that trip to the beach we took with our kids. This happiness doesn't flow from the money itself, of course, but from the experiences it allows us to access. Thankfully, many positive experiences don't require vast sums of cash, and these can make us happy, too. So if simply accumulating mountains of money isn't the key to emotional well-being, why do so many people still try to do it? The great cultural anthropologist Ernest Becker provides a fascinating, if slightly complex, answer to this question. He believes that money is closely tied to a quest for ultimate control over our destinies, even over death itself. Becker observed that we human beings are the only animals with the capacity to realize that we will eventually die. We may live to be 80 or 90, though it's also possible we could die tomorrow, next week, or even next month. Even if we're fortunate enough to have access to excellent health care, we don't actually have much control over this incredibly important eventuality. If we really stop to think about it, this could truly terrify us. Many of us catch glimmers of this feeling at some point in our lives. The cliched midlife crisis, for instance, or the cold feet we might get right before our wedding. We know we only get one shot at life, and time is running out. Fortunately, we don't usually walk around thinking such morbid thoughts. According to Becker and the psychologists who've built on his ideas, that's because we've developed psychological mechanisms that give us an inflated sense of control over our fate. One of them is money. In his book, Escape from Evil, Becker writes, quote, Money buys bodyguards, bulletproof glass, and better medical care. In addition, it can be passed on, and so it radiates its powers even after death, giving one a semblance of immortality. Unquote. Money gives us control over a lot of things in our lives. So Becker theorizes that the accumulation of wealth may also confer a false sense of security when it comes to our own impending deaths. If this sounds far-fetched, consider the message that President George W. Bush delivered soon after the 9-11 attacks, perhaps the American people's most significant confrontation with their own mortality. You might expect the president to encourage people to care for one another or to keep faith in their government but it might seem surprising to you that he would urge them to shop. In President Bush's words, quote, We cannot let the terrorists achieve the objective of frightening our nation to the point where we don't do business, where we don't shop. Unquote. He went on to say, quote, Mrs. Bush and I want to encourage Americans to go out shopping. Unquote. And that's exactly what Americans did generating an increase in consumer spending of more than 6% from October to December of 2001, the strongest in years. Research also supports Becker's account of why we care so much about money. In one study, 
experimenters asked college students to project their financial standing 15 years into the future, taking a guess at things like their salary, the value of their homes, the amount of money they would like to spend on leisure activities, and other outcomes. Just before they answered this question, however, researchers asked half the students to write a paragraph about their thoughts and feelings regarding their own eventual deaths. The results were exactly what Becker would predict. The students who wrote about their deaths subsequently said they wanted to be worth more financially and spend more money on luxury items than those who hadn't been encouraged to consider their deaths. Although none of the students consciously realized it, they may have been using their plans regarding their own material wealth to defend against the unpleasant feelings generated by writing about their deaths. The unconscious logic goes a little something like, if I'm rich, then I don't have to worry about it. Money may be a way of tricking ourselves into thinking we have ultimate control when we really don't. Of course, this is an illusion. While the comfort of using this mental strategy may have its advantages, whether we like it or not, earning more money won't shortcut death. And beyond a certain point, it probably won't make us any happier, either. Perhaps the most important lesson in all of this research is that money clearly matters, but it shouldn't be the center of our lives. Once we have enough money to survive and feel comfortable, the recipe for happiness may be to enrich ourselves with meaningful experiences and human connections, not to further enrich our bank accounts. After all, we shouldn't forget another famous saying, you can't take it with you. And that was Psychology in 10 Minutes. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, consider passing your joy on to someone else who you think might benefit from a 10-minute snippet of psychology in their lives. Or, if you could spare a couple of minutes, write us a review on iTunes. That really helps prospective audiences find the show. Thanks for listening.